All right, everyone. Welcome to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast with Andrew Drozdak and Thomas Bowen. This is a podcast for slightly above average football fans, slightly below average football fans that want to learn more about the game. And if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody. Welcome in to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. This is Season 4, Episode 8. My name is Andrew Drozdak, and I am one of your co-hosts. I am joined by my good buddy, the best brewer in town, Thomas Bowen. Bowen, how are we doing tonight? Doing fantastic. Had a great bye week. Rested rest my bones and my joints, ready for a good weekend of football. And this week, we are lucky enough to be joined by a special guest, a good friend of the show, and a, a great Gamecock. Eric Kimry's with us tonight. Eric, how you doing, bud? I'm great, guys. Glad to be with you tonight. Yeah, man. We're excited to have you talk a little bit of football. So anybody who's new to the show, we are the X's and O's shows for the Jimmys and the Joes. Thomas and I were coaches at one time. Eric is still a coach. We're going to talk about that more and a former player himself. Uh, famous for uh, the fade. If you're a Gamecock fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And Eric, that leads right into our first question because Thomas and I are football nerds. I know you've talked about the fade probably 8 million times over your life since it happened. But what we want to know is, what was the play call? What was what was the formation? Give us the verbiage, if you remember. Uh, I was probably king left 6 or 19. was probably right. the play call. Gotcha. So the king was the 2 by 2 formation that um, I call dose now. Um, and then sixer was our flash, like, you know, gap protection. Gotcha. Six-man gap protection and then 18 and 19 was a phase on the outside with with quick outs on the inside but um when i i kind of made that call um coach fitch came up and said hey let's put all four on the on fade so you have four options because they were playing cover zero 11 guys on the line scrimmage it was kind of a no-brainer what to do I got you. That kind of answers my next question. Was it was kind of a zero read situation? You you knew where you were going pre-snap or what was what was your your progression there? Yeah, I mean, it was a pre-snap read for sure. Uh, we were on the right hash, which made it a little trickier. But, uh, you know, it was a it was man to man zero. And, you know, when you have man to man, you throw it to to the man and the man was. Yeah. <laughs> Fred Smoot, who was a really good corner at the time, was in our boundary uh, against James Atkinson. So, um, the, you know, their lesser corner was on Jermel. So it's kind of a no-brainer. Uh, the only trick was, you know, when the ball – when I when I got the ball, I peeked out the corner of my eye. I can see that Jermel was getting just jammed up just slightly. So I put a little bit more air on it than I normally would and uh, to give him time to run under it. The rest is history, man. Yeah, man, that it, was awesome. It it looked like, and I was I was rewatching that that play, and I've I've seen it so many times, and and remember seeing it live. But it it, it looked like, and goodness gracious, the uh, the the technology on TV feeds have come a long way because I had to I had to keep rewatching it. But it looked like the DB kind of just stumbled or stuttered a half second or a microsecond. I'm assuming that also gave Kelly time to get some more separation on him. Did you see that too? I just saw that it took him a second to kind of get off the ball. And, you know, anytime you're throwing a go ball, you've got to judge very quickly, you know, where is your receiver in relation with the DB and where are they going? Um, and they were pretty even at the time. So, again, I just – I feel like I had to drop the ball in there. Um, didn't have the laces, and, you know, that's kind of how we were taught to throw it back then. And um, 
you know, got rid of it quickly. And you can see on the film, had I not done that, I would have got set back. <laughs> yeah, so, definitely. Made a better catch than I made a throw because, you know, he really waited to the last second to look up so the DB couldn't make a play on the ball and, and the ball kind of bounced in his arms a little bit and he, and he caught it. So thank God for that or no one would know who I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You sure did uh, win a lot of championships here in Columbia at Hammond. So I think you, you built your own legacy as well. That's true. That's true. Uh, so Eric, one last thing about that. Um, you know, as, as that ball's coming out of your hand, you said you got, didn't get the laces. I mean, are you thinking that as that ball comes out, all right, that you said it wasn't your best throw. Is that what you, you were thinking? That's kind of where I want to put it. That's where I want it. That's my best option. Or what was coming out through your mind right then? No, I thought it was a damn good throw. <laughs> it was a good throw. I just, I had to put it out there a little bit and just didn't know if I'd maybe put out, put it out there a little bit too much. Gotcha. Um, well, felt like, you know, it's kind of like when you hit a driver and catch it right between the screws. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I kind of knew once it came out of my hands, I had a shot. Well, unfortunately for me as a golfer, I don't know that feeling all that well. That's uh, a little bit more of the the not the norm. But that was definitely a moment when you had some ice water in your veins. Thomas, speaking of ice, where can the fans get some good ice? Yeah, that's right. Another great segue here. And I'm sure Coach Kimry here is probably an expert on ice with all the all the water coolers that have been dumped on him over the years. But we've got some ice experts right here in the Midlands and our good friends at Twice the Ice. Look, if you're still buying your ice from a gas station, you're doing it wrong. The ice sucks. You're paying way too much money. So find yourself a Twice the Ice machine where you can get a 16-pound bag or 20 pounds directly in your cooler for only $2.50. Head on over to tticlub.com slash Lake Murray Ice. Find the closest machine to you. And then when you're at the machine, text the word AVERAGE to the phone number on the machine, and boom, you get a free bag of ice. Heck of a deal there. All right, Andrew, let's get back to the nuts and bolts of some football. Absolutely, man. Get you some free ice on that. So before we move into South Carolina football, Eric, talk to us a little bit about the evolution of, of your offensive scheme. I know you, you've you mentioned in the past that you – you know, you took a lot of elements that you learned from from Skip Holtz and, and and a few others along the way. How how did you come to your system? Just you know, I know you I know you could probably talk about that for a long period of time, but you know what what was that like for you as you were becoming a head football coach and an offensive coach? How, how did you put your playbook together? Uh, I think it's the smorgasbord of of a lot of different things I learned over the years. Started with Joe Tillman's office from. Mm -hmm the coach at Purdue that Drew, Drew Brees played under. That's the, that's the system I used in high school. And I called the plays of the line of scrimmage my last two years of high school as a quarterback, slid the protections and everything. Um, and then, of course, you know, learned so much from Skip Holtz and the offense that he brought in from Connecticut. That was certainly the, I would say, the core of my offense at Hammond for a few years. But I've always been a curious guy and wanted to, you know, learn and add and evolve. and um. You know, I think when you sit in one spot for a long time, which I did at Hammond 17 years, you can do one of two things. You can either just get really comfortable with what you do and do it really well, or you can tinker and add and change and try to evolve. And I think the one of the best things that I ever did, it's probably about 10 years ago, I changed the names of the positions. So, you know, your standard positions are X, Y, and Z. Some people use an F or an H for your slot guy. Some people use a, a, you know, a B or a T for your tailback. And that just never made sense to me because, you know, so much about offense is communicating. 
And why would you communicate with letters that no one uses very much? And so what I did is I just I Googled what are the consonants in the English language that have the most words? And so my X is my S. Uh, my Y is my B. My Z is my R. I still use the H as my slot guy. My tailback's my T. And if I had the stones, I would have changed the quarterback to a P for a passing back. But I didn't quite go that far. <laughs> and what that's done is allowed me to, um, you know, I, it really it's, it's made my offense even more simple to communicate. So I can be very complex uh, in what you might see on film. But for my kids, it's pretty easy to come up with ways to communicate things. Like, let's just say we wanted our R to run a post over the top of a, a certain combination. We literally call it a roast route. I mean, R runs a post, roast, right? So right. stuff like, um, you know, when I want my S and my R to switch within the formation, I just swerve it because it's S and R. If I want my S and my H to switch, I literally call it a switch. Um, there's just a lot of fun things that I can do with the language uh, that has certainly, I think, given um, me, you know, comfort in how I call a game. Uh, I think the year at South Carolina was really critical, critical for me, too. I, I studied so much. I, I learned a lot of, of ball um, under Marcus Satterfield and the other guys that were in that room um, that knew, you know, knew football. I also studied the NFL a bunch and got a, a deep appreciation for the NFL and some of the schemes that they use. And and so now, I mean, I carry way more into a game than I should. I probably have too long of a play sheet. I probably put in too much every week, but I can't help myself now. Um, and I really appreciate kind of the art of play calling more than I ever have in my life. Yeah, you, you make a great point there. It, it, there is truly an art to that play calling and and, and you know how how do you have in a game your your feel for the game you know there's the old steve spurrier obviously coach south carolina florida all the things you know that when he was in a groove he almost knew what the defense was going to do like how like what are you seeing on the field what you know is it film study as you come into it is it more in the moment what what do you equate to being able to to kind of have that art form of of good play calling yeah, I think you hit on it. A lot of it is, a, is an intuition and a feel. And I, I've been around guys that have immense knowledge of scheme but have zero feel of flow, of harmony of within a game, of what's going on with a kid or how a certain kid runs a route versus a certain kid. There's so many, you know, dynamics into calling a play that, you know, you have to kind of consider in a microsecond. And so you can't really compute all those things, but they're there. Uh, in an instinctual gut level. And I think the best play callers kind of, they have that. And a lot of them, you'll notice, were quarterbacks. So I think that was Spurrier's thing is that he played the game. He was out on the field. He could see it. He had just an, an elite feel for what works versus certain things. And then guys that are comfortable with with their system and uh, when to call what, how to attack. Film study is a big part of that. I think in today's day and age, you see so much uh, diversity within defensive scheme that you can't just have a call that's like, hey, this is just the man beater. You got to have something else in there so your QB can go to it in case they're not in that because uh, defenses will disguise and things like that. I'm not saying I don't ever just call pure man beaters. I do. But, um, you know, I think that your play call, your play design <clears throat> has to feel like it can be effective versus multiple defenses and not like so, I would say, 
not so detailed that they have to be an exact certain defense. You know, it might be like, hey, this is good against single high zone. Doesn't matter how they spin to it, it's still good, you know, or this is good against a shell zone. Um, but uh, hey, let's alert this versus man, um, things like that. And uh, and I learned a lot of that my year at Carolina. Mm-hmm. And, and- I, I would imagine also as as a former quarterback yourself, you probably have a pretty high standard for your quarterbacks. And I also know that this is very much dependent on the personnel you have and this high school and kids roll through. But but for the most part, how much do you put on your quarterbacks as far as reading the defense, sliding protections, things like that? Are they half field reads? Are they pre reads? You know, it depends on the play, but a lot. Um, I try to steer away from having them change their protections but give them a, a clear understanding of, of where they're vulnerable, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'd rather the guys and, and their and their focus be down the field than, you know, within the box and worried about hot and sliding the protection and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think pro quarterbacks are, can do that. Um, I think that some college quarterbacks can do that, but not many, to be honest with you. And I mean, you talk to Connor Shaw, we talked about it plenty of times. It's like, I mean, he kind of, he knew where he was hot, but other than that, he was playing football mm-hmm, and his yeah. eyes field, you know. Um, if you're constantly worried about, oh, do I need to slide it and not just slide it, but do I slide three, four, five O linemen? Mm-hmm. Right. Make that hot or whatever. Uh, and then by the time you're and you listen, and there's eighty-five thousand people screaming and the defense is stimming and you can't hear anything, and then you're trying to worry about sliding either three or four guys, and then your eyes gotta go down the field and you're reading two all Americans like that's hard, man. So <laughs> yeah. I'd ra- I'd rather my quarterback be a little freer mentally uh, to be able to to make you know reads down the field and play a little more intuitively. Yeah, totally I could sense. I couldn't agree with that more. And I like you said the the guys when they get to the pros, you know that that's just a different. I mean, obviously it's a different ball game, but their their job is football. They're not going to high school classes. They're not going to college classes. They're not doing they they play football. You know, you think about. Peyton Manning, you know, we heard all about all the uh, time he spent watching film. You know, Philip Rivers had a, a, a van converted so he could watch film on his drive to his house. You know, that's that's not something a high school or college kid can do, as particularly at the college level where you have NCAA limits sometimes on where they can be and where they have to be. So you yeah, have a lot, and that's I think that is a struggle where you see professional coordinators come down to college. And where they sometimes can struggle, they get lost in the weeds of the nuance. And that nuance in the NFL, it takes an extraordinary <clears throat> of time to get really good at that. And you're talking about guys that have been doing it a long time uh, and have the, the 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 time and the resources to learn those things and feel comfortable doing it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it is. A, it's an adjustment because those guys do have class and, you know, they're chasing girls around campus and want to hang out with their buddies and play PlayStation or whatever they're doing nowadays. And, you know, so, but Hey, that's part of coaching, man. Like it's so easy to get lost in the X's and O's and don't get me wrong, man. I love the scheme part of football. I think I like, I love it more than I ever have, but like coaching the human, I think I love that way more yeah. and trying to understand what makes a young man tick and how I can best word something or phrase something or, put my arm around him or get on him or what have you. And not just for one player, but for a team. And that's one thing I love about being a head coach is, you know, 
that spiritual dimension that you have to be aware of as a coach, you know, to me, those psychological factors, they're actually more important than the X's and O's in my mind. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. You know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. You know, the culture you have, the way you understand your kids, the way you know how to motivate them. You're exactly right. I've talked about that before on this show and in my career as an educator, the relationship you have with a kid and the way you motivate him and know him or, you know, in the classroom, him or her, you know, you got to know the kid. You might know all you said a minute ago, you might have all the X's and O's knowledge that there is, but that, that if it doesn't translate, if the kid doesn't hear you, it doesn't really matter and you kind of hit on something i wanted this is non-football and thomas you might want to roll your eyes here for a minute but eric you and i are philosophy guys you you love philosophy like i do right now i'm into the stoics i'm reading the daily stoic every morning what's your philosophy guy right now are you you got time to read during the season i know you taught kind of a philosophy class when you're at hammond i know you're big into that is you have a certain thing you're looking at right now or are you just focused on football Man, I'll be, I'm embarrassed to say that this season I haven't been able to do uh, some more daily readings like I, I used to. Uh, it's just, it's been a busy season. We yeah. had a great seven week stretch and finally got an off week, but, but need to do more of it. But I've certainly studied the Stoics. Um, I think that Stoicism, it's, it can be a tool in sports, um, mm-hmm. but ultimately it's lacking. You know, yeah. uh, you know, Socrates never cried, but Jesus wept. And That's right difference between the two because one of those systems of thoughts encompasses the totality of a human being and their emotions and the other one is trying to um you know suppress emotions which like i said a lot of times can be an extremely useful tool Mm -hmm. because we play such an emotional game and and oftentimes we are on the emotional side of things and we need to be able to breathe and be in the moment i've certainly used some buddhist teachings in my coaching about breathing and and meditative practices and things of that nature. Um, but, you know, those things are important. And and I'm glad you have shamed me about my lack of reading. <laughs> I'm going to get back on it tomorrow now. That's not my, that was not my intent, man. That was not my intent. All right. So right before, last thing before we get into the uh, South Carolina side of things, man, you're working at Baylor School now in Tennessee. Uh, you know, pictures I've seen and, and things of that, that must be, one of the most picturesque campuses I've ever seen. Like what, what, what is that like day to day? It's inspiring, man. It is a beautiful place. I would say it's one of the most beautiful campuses in the country. Uh, but even more so, Andrew, it's, it's full of just wonderful people. Right. Uh, it's a place. It's my wife says it's like the sec meets dead poet society. That's a great example. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. Is, it. Man, like our, our practice fields are on the Tennessee river. Like we literally, balls into the river and we'll have our crew team coming by doing their rowing and sink and we'll be throwing balls and i'm like where's robin williams doing some kind of chant (laughs) (laughs) but the great it's it's the best football in all of tennessee it's the highest level of competition so like you know regardless of public or private um like us and macaulay right now rank one and two in the state um and so it's really good football i've got a lot of very, very good football players. Um, all, I, you know, two of my receivers are four stars and my tight ends are four star. I have a three star throwing it to them and a three star left tackle. Um, we played Lipscomb the other day, a couple weeks ago, and they had six four stars on defense. So that wow. was quite where you're like, all right, this kid that's committed to Tennessee's garden, our guy's going to Alabama. Or 
kid that's been offered by everybody in the country trying to guard a tight end going to Ohio State. So um, it's a really fun competitive league to coach in uh, because everyone's got really good resources and players, so everyone's well coached. Uh, but the campus, man, it's inspiring. It's a deeply spiritual place um, in the sense that, you know, you're here, the mountains are all around you, and the water is beneath you. And every day, like I'm sitting on my front porch right now, and I can see our football field. I can see the uh, Elder Mountain Range and the Tennessee River. And so um, I have nothing to complain about. And, um, man. yeah, it draws that, a lot of inspiration to, to be a better person. Yeah, man, that's that's amazing. That's amazing. We could do a whole episode on that. But let's get to South Carolina football. The Gamecocks are coming off a of bye week. The Gators are coming to town. Thomas, I, I've seen a two-and-a-half line, a one-and-a-half line, a one-point line. What's the last thing you saw? Last thing I saw as of about five minutes ago was two-and-a-half. Gotcha. Okay. Gators come in at four and two. Uh, coming off a fairly dominant win against Vanderbilt at 38-14. Their quarterback transfer from Wisconsin, Graham, is it Matt Mertz? Mertz. Mertz. Thank Mertz. you. For over 300 yards and three touchdowns in that game, and as a team, Florida rushed for 200 yards. Thomas, I'll let you talk about how the Gamecocks are going to stop that in just a minute. Let's talk about the Gators' defense. The Gators' defense this year is an interesting situation. Got a new D.C., uh, Austin Armstrong. He's a young cat now. He's 29 years old, coming out of uh, Southern Miss. You know, they are very multiple. They will play a lot of four-two-five and a lot of three-three-five, and, and you know it's it's not uncommon to see a defense kind of change up the multitude or how they set up on the on the line of scrimmage, three down linemen, four down linemen. It is sort of unusual to see them jump in the back uh, back part of the field there. Eric, you mentioned earlier, you know, making sure your quarterbacks is, is a little bit more free to to, to look downfield. You know, coming into this, knowing those things, you know, Spencer's had a, a an amazing year already, and really it kind of started last year with Kentucky uh, and kind of led throughout the season. Before we talk about the, the Gators in particular and how he needs to get ready for that, as a, a former quarterback and a coach, what do you see in Spencer watching games that where it clicked? You know, we hear that phrase all the time, it's clicked for him or the game slowed down. When you look at it, is there anything you can pick up on that's like, okay, now I see why he's seeing the field better or he's making those throws better? I mean, he just looks comfortable despite, you know, having to, you know, be under duress quite a lot. Um, he just I, th I think you were seeing probably the best quarterback play in the history of the school. So, and I don't Great. say that lightly. Um, I mean, I can you imagine if he was surrounded by – Alshon Jeffrey and Marcus Lattimore and oh, God. and some of those guys that we saw play over a decade ago. Um, so I think we all ought to sit back and appreciate uh, how well he's playing. And you got to give Dow Loggins a lot of credit because absolutely, he's like you know, even <clears throat> really really comfortable this year, and and he's and he's having to make a lot of plays on his own too. And you know, when you're young up front, that's part of it. But um, you know, I mean, we're seeing a guy that's playing high, high level football. I think the thing that people don't give Spencer enough credit for is his intelligence and his professionalism. Uh, I've, I've met him a couple times. I wasn't there long when he was there. The guy was an absolute pro. Uh, he handles his himself like a pro. He studies the game, and uh, he's a very, very intelligent guy. I think people want to say things like arm talent and athleticism, but the thing that struck me the most – 
when I, you know, spend any time around the guy. And as I watch him is how smart he is. No, he knows where to go with the ball and he's, he's done his homework uh, and he's really handled himself like a pro this year. There is a lot of, of area for frustration for him right now. It, you know, he's playing as good as he's playing and you really don't see that. He's just been very composed and impressive. Yeah, I, I could agree with that. I met Spencer briefly this uh, earlier, I guess this was uh, last spring. He had a youth football camp at Drew High School. A buddy of mine reached out and said, hey, man, you should go volunteer and help out at that. And I said, sure, why not? And, you know, got to spend a little bit of time with Spencer doing that. And just my impression briefly meeting him and watching him, it, it, you know, you talked about his intelligence. I was just so impressed by his humility. Like to be a young man, as talented as he is, he talked to every kid. I came up, you know, as a volunteer, there was a bunch of us. I kind of gave him the man bro hug, whatever, said, hey, man, have a great year. Thanks for doing this. And he was like, hey, man, brother, I appreciate you being here, you know, all that. Just a really good kid. And, and I think that just also leads into, you know, uh, when you have that humility, uh, a desire to work hard, a desire to, to get better. And it sounds like exactly what you're telling us. So, you know, as we look at this this defense that's a little bit more multiple, what are you, if you could give a coaching point, you know, they're going to try and roll. They're going to try and pre-snap change and post-snap change. Is it just trust your keys? What are you telling him if you were going into this game as his quarterback coach? I'm not telling that guy anything. <laughs> um, you know, I think that it, when someone's trying to be a little bit more complex, you know, you got to have plays that, you know, he feels really comfortable with. There's no doubt that Dow will do that. Uh, when you got a younger offensive line, uh, you may resort to some, you know, more simplified protections, you know, slide protections, move the pocket a little bit, things of that nature. But there's no doubt we, we got to be able to have some type of balance. Um, and, you know, with this Florida team that looked really, really good against Tennessee and then looked really, really bad against Kentucky, you know, which team's going to come play? Um, right. But I us to do what we need to do. In the, in the passing game, we've got to be able to run the ball just enough to keep people honest. And um, and I think that's going to be the challenge. I agree with you there. And this was something I touched on last week, and you mentioned the run game. There, there's been moments, you know, there was a long run by Mari Anderson against Tennessee, 75 yards for a touchdown. There's been some success, but there's also been some tough sledding. You know, my thought process on that that I said last week was, you know, if I, you know, this is from my high school experience. What are we good at? And let's run that out of everything we got. You know, is that a thought process? You know, obviously what the defense does dictates. But, you know, South Carolina's run game under Daryl Loggins has been very multiple. They, they zone, they power, they counter, they do a lot of things. You know, if you're, again, you know, you talked about a young offensive line. Is it about, okay, we're best at this. Let's, let's hit that inside zone. And maybe we have a counter off of it. Do you think there needs to be for just success point and balance, maybe a little bit of, of zeroing in on that, tightening it down. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't really speak to that intelligently because I just, I'm not in that room, but right. You know, speaking when you're younger, you want to be a little bit more simple up front um, and just really hammer out a few concepts before you start to diversify your run game. Um, and then, you know, what can you do? What are some knickknacks you can do that, aren't really, um, you know, super costly that can uh, accentuate your run game with maybe some some jet sweeps or some nakeds or something like that that maybe can help 
Um, you know, just confuse the defense just enough to give your offensive line uh, a little advantage. You know, we call it window dressing all the time, right? Mm-hmm, so let's mm-hmm. win a couple runs um, a bunch of different ways, keep it simple for the guys up front, um, but maybe be able to get the ball in the perimeter via some of that kind of thing. And so, you know, that's where your mind goes, but, you know, you also got to look at the matchups and is there a specific thing that you can do to maybe self- give yourself an advantage? Um, and that's why they pay them the big bucks, man. That's right. That's right. Well, good <laughs> time for the game, Cox. If you look look at statistics alone, the Gators' defense is last in the league right now in sacks. So that that's a little bit of good news for this young offensive line as they come in. So Thomas, let's switch gears. Talk a little defense with us. What is South Carolina's defense going to be looking at from this Florida offense? Yeah, Sun Belt Billy, as uh, as we do like to call him. You know, just a, a little brief on uh, on Billy Napier's offense. He wants to be balanced. He likes an efficient run game. Uses that to set up a vertical passing game. And this Florida team does have a good run game right now. They've got two good running backs, uh, fifth in the SEC in rush yards, about 153 yards a game, eighth in the SEC in pass yards, 256 a game. Eric, a question for you that that I get asked a lot, and and you know we are the slightly above average football podcast, and we've got we so so we like to explain things on a, on a more explain like I'm five type level. One question I get all the time is. We talk about inside zone, outside zone. We talk about duo. Inside zone and duo, I've had a lot of people ask me, what's the easiest way when you're watching an offense to determine if they're running inside zone versus duo? What's the simplest way to explain that? Well, they, the word duo is for double team, basically. So are all the offensive linemen double teaming at the same time, basically? So you want to try and duo to get double teams with, with almost all your offensive line. And oftentimes the the run action's a little different in duo. And duo, the the running back, he'll take it either the pistol or same side, and you'll see him press kind of the center. And really he's reading the middle linebacker or the mic, whoever, however they block it. And if that mic spikes, then he's going to kind of stick his foot in the ground and he's going to bounce out to the sideline, okay? And it's more of a front side read. And if the mic, if the mic kind of flows over the top in a gap exchange, he's going to spike it in the hole. But I think the the inside zone is going to be a little bit more of a fluid feel to it. You might see more um, single blocks by the offensive line. Don't get me wrong, you still have double teams in there. But I would say the the duo is going to feel a little bit more vertical, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense, and and that right there is, folks, that's 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 worth the download alone, right there. That's a that's a, right. a, an excellent answer. Um, but so look for that. There's your key this weekend when you're watching South Carolina, Florida, be on the lookout for that duo inside zone. Andrew mentioned earlier Graham Mertz transfer from Wisconsin. He's not much of a deep threat. You are going to see a boatload of hitch routes here, hitch route after hitch route. Uh, Mertz, I, I don't know if, if they don't trust him to go downfield or if just not Billy's M.O., but they've got the wide receivers to do it. Persall, ridiculous guy. I don't know if anybody saw his one-handed catch against Charlotte a couple weeks ago, but that was nasty. That was insane. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about hitch routes, and I think if I'm a wide receiver, I'm probably not a big fan of running a lot of hitch routes because for the most part in a hitch route, you don't really have a lot of opportunity for yards after catch. And a lot of times you're going to be getting hammered as soon as you get the ball by a big linebacker. They'd like to get Mertz out of the pocket. 
90% of the time, he's rolling right. If you watch the Kentucky game, Kentucky was very opportunistic here, bringing edge blitzes on that right side and putting Mertz under duress. But all of that to say it's leading to a theme, and I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here, but hitch routes plus a really good gun run game with two really good SEC running backs, the linebackers, once again, are in for one hell of a day. One hell of a day with those hitch routes. And what I'm looking at schematically here is Eric mentioned it earlier, talking about window dressing, dressing plays up. There's a lot of motion in this offense. A lot of it is just window dressing. Persol, that all-world wide receiver who's also a transfer guy, I think maybe Arizona State, somewhere out west, um, they love to motion him across the formation. Rarely hand it off to him. I feel like that means he would definitely get it handed off or, or, or toss pitch to him against us this weekend since they haven't done it all season. But it's really about moving someone out of the box. Kentucky went heavy on the box against them, wanted Mertz to beat them over the top. Um, so they would move people around. Um, you're going to see a lot of play action off the motions, often faking to the motion and faking the handoff again with that rollout to the right. Finally, I think I mentioned this last week against against Tennessee, we saw something that we haven't done a lot defensively, but that was putting Nick Ingmanwari at that nickel spot. With him playing a lot of nickel, I'd like to see more of that this week, if for no other reason than run support in the box. But otherwise, I think Clayton White is going to stick to kind of that cover four shell. Cover four, as we've talked about before, allows you to be aggressive with your safeties, uh, against the run, still have your deep defenders. You can bracket coverage there. It's all about it's really about disciplined linebacker play here. But one of the things I just thought about, and I wanted to ask Eric about this, was if if, if you're if you're facing a defense that is primarily a a cover four defense, quarters coverage, which is match principles, and I think I think we do run a lot of match principles, which is for our listeners that is is a matchup zone. Think about basketball; you're only running man inside of your zone there, but. What are what are your your biggest route combinations against that defense? How are you attacking that defense? Well, I think the the challenge for our defense is going to be if they do that, they're going to be very susceptible in the flat to the hitches that you talked about. And you can stress those outside those apex linebackers with your RPO world, whether it be hitches, bubbles, a variation of type of flat threats, um, because that is the weakness of the defense. Um, you know, and also you got to take advantage of the aggressive safeties and play fake or run some type of intermediate route that grabs their attention and then throw something over the top of that, whether it be a post or, you know, cross field post or what have you. So um, to me, you know, I think what we got to do is if we're worried about that RPO world or we're worried about the flat, you've got to mix up your coverages. you got to play some hard corners at times, whether they be cover two or like a three roll type of principle. Or you just man up and play some some press man, which is a little scary, but we have been willing to do that at times. And if you're not as concerned down the field, um, then, you know, it might be times that you have to roll the dice and get them behind the sticks so they're in second and longs um, and they're not as willing to go to that flat. But um, it'll be a challenge for sure. I mean, this is a good football team. And really, I it's, it's hard to know for me which Florida Gator team is going to show up, but I will say it's a really important game for, for South Carolina because it's at home and, um, you know, we've got a couple tough road games on the road right after. 
Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right on that. And that's that's kind of when when we get here as as we're starting to wrap up here and looking at predictions, that's kind of where I'm scared or, or a little bit worried about this game. But we got to have disciplined linebacker play. We've uh, I really want to see it from Stone Blanton this week. Uh, the big the big uglies up in the middle. I want to see them disruptive. You know, I'm kind of a little down on them after the Tennessee game, but um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I hope it is the Florida team. I hope the Florida team that shows up is the one that has lost 13 of their last 14 games away from the swamp. I think uh, that would that would be a big help. That would help. So I mean, we'll we'll jump into kind of predictions here, and and uh, you know, my thought is South Carolina's coming off a bye. Guys are getting healed up. I think I heard today that uh, Coach Beamer said during his presser the defense is as healthy as it's been all year. That's great. Um, obviously, Juice Wells on offense and some other key players there. Mom Brown are, are still banged up there. But ultimately, I, I like the Gamecocks' chances here. I certainly think it will be a game that goes into the fourth quarter. Um, you know, this October has become nicknamed – Cocktober recently, uh, Josh Pate uh, has done that. Uh, and so, you know, th- this tends to be where we turn things, uh, you know, to the to our best side. I, I certainly don't think it's going to be easy. I think, I, I, you know, Eric mentioned this, having balance is going to be key. If we can get the run game going, if that's Mario Anderson or DK Joyner or some combination of the two, you know, that play action pass takes guys out of uh, their typical zones and their typical drops at linebacker for Florida's defense and even at safety sometimes, and that can open up some passing lanes. I think the Gamecocks, if they can find that balance, can come out on top. I think they will come out on top. Thomas, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I think this is going to be Mario Anderson's coming out party. Uh, I don't think he'll do to Florida quite what um, the kid for – Kentucky did, which was unbelievable. But you know, Williams Bryce is a uh is a tough place to play, even for a 3:30 game. I think it's gonna be rocking the fairs in town. Go get you a corn dog. I think the Cox Cox pulled this one out. I'm looking like a 31-21 type of game. Eric, what are your thoughts here? No, I think that in two the last two years, anytime someone's put, you know, our team and, and Coach Beamer's back to the wall, they've responded. Um, and so I, I, I see our team doing that. Shane does such a good job uh, week in and week out, regardless of what happened the week before, uh, really, you know, coaching the mindset of the team and and going into those games with positive mindsets and the belief that they can win. Um, and I think we'll do that. And like you said, man, Williams-Brice uh, is just a really tough environment to play any time of day, but 3.30 is a good one. Um, and so I think there's a lot of positive vibes, man, and I, I feel like our Gamecocks are going to win. Eric, do you get to uh, do you get to watch a lot of football on Saturdays in the fall? Or are you pretty much uh, locked in at Baylor and, and handling all your business? No, I watch a lot of football on on Saturdays, and I, I DVR certain teams and, and NFL teams too. Um, so Sunday's a little busier day for me and prepping for the next week. But generally speaking. I'll watch our game from the night before Saturday morning. And then, you know, usually around noon, I'll take the rest of the day off and just watch college football and try to be with my family and and enjoy being a human being. That's right. Got to have that balance. I I respect that. Got to have that balance. All right. Let's uh, let's take a look around college football. Thomas, I saw in the notes that I kind of 
poo-pooed this weekend's schedule, and then you told me how wrong I was. Um, apparently, I missed some pretty key ones. What are the big games you're looking at this Saturday? Yeah, I don't even think you looked at uh, looked at the schedule for this weekend because you said there was not a lot of great games in your opinion. Well, I'm going to give you four that I'm really looking forward to. Starting with 3.30, number eight, Oregon at number seven, Washington. Big pack two matchup, <laughs> I guess, here, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I've got – uh, th- this game, I think, for me personally, will decide if I'm putting Oregon possibly in my top four. That's kind of where I'm looking at things. So, Eric, my question for you here is, Bo Nix has been great at Oregon and, and is being mentioned as a Heisman candidate. At times, he struggled at Auburn in different situations. You know, is it a purely schematic thing? What do, What do you think the big difference is there? I mean, he's older and probably more comfortable. I can't say I've watched Oregon enough this year to really know. Um, but I like Oregon to win that game. I think my guy Jordan Birch uh, gets a couple sacks and makes a difference. We love old Birch. All right. Next one, Thomas. Another another 330 here because this is this this could just get a little wacky here. We've got Texas AM at number 19, Tennessee. Tennessee's favored by three and a half here. Um AM is just weird this year, man. I don't really know what to happen here. Tennessee could sleepwalk through this game, but they could also smoke AM. But AM's got a ridiculous defensive line, a defensive line that I'm very terrified for our offensive line to face in a couple weeks. I agree with that. Eric, here's where I want to you know, you obviously played in Knoxville in your time as a player, and and, and you're obviously you're in Tennessee now. I as a fan, it sounds insanely loud in the stands there. You know, as Thomas and I have joked, they only give you about six inches of seat space in Neyland Stadium. Is it as loud as it seems on the field? Um, Yeah, I don't think so. I think it's really loud, but it's not as loud as some other places. I would gotcha. say including Christ. Um, Athens gets really, really loud. Um, the, I'd say the Swamp and LSU are the two loudest for sure. But uh, but it is very loud, and it, I went to the game uh, a couple weeks ago in Knoxville to watch our guys play, and um, it was a really good environment, really good atmosphere. Uh, not as good as ours, but but still really. <laughs> anytime you play at night in the SEC at home, I swear it's like a ten point advantage. You're um, exactly. it, it makes a huge difference. It Except for Vanderbilt. Yeah, yeah, that didn't count. um all right good stuff thomas what's our next one on the docket last uh next to last uh seven o'clock we got auburn at number 22 lsu who's favored by 11 and lsu does not seem to have any defense whatsoever to speak of the offense is ridiculous but i don't know here Hugh freeze is doing some wacky things over at auburn too uh, man, yeah, I don't know how to predict this game. LSU, you know, like you said, ph- phenomenal offense. I don't know what they're doing on defense. Uh, Eric, do you have a read on this one? I, I don't. I think LSU will win and win pretty easily. It's a lot easier to fix your defense than it is your offense. So Great. you can come in, guys, we are running this coverage and that's it. And we're going to get really good at it and, you know, maybe eliminate some of the confusion. But um, they're, they are good on offense and it's a, it's a funky year in college football. It is hard to predict. <laughs> That's what I love about it. I love the, uh, the parody that we have this year. Cause I, as I told somebody the other day, I said, 
I don't think Georgia's the best team in the country, but I damn sure can't tell you who is right now either. Yeah, Ra- absolutely not. Wrapping it up here at 7.30, the most electric quarterback in the country, number 10, Southern Cal at number 21, Notre Dame. Notre Dame's favored by three here. Southern Cal, speaking of teams that also do not play defense either, but, man, Caleb Williams is a lot of fun to watch. Eric, I don't know if you've gotten to watch much Southern Cal, but I love watching that kid play. He's he's special, probably be one of the top picks in the draft next year. But uh, I don't know, man. I saw so I actually saw Notre Dame play in Ireland. I was over there. Oh, we awesome! The day before that, um, so that was cool. And so I have no logical reason to pick Notre Dame, but I have <laughs> um, an emotional one. So I'm going with Notre Dame. I like. Wait, it. you, Eric? Y'all played in Ireland? Yeah, man. We played the day before Notre Dame and Navy in Ireland. We played at school from uh, New Jersey. Seton Hall prep, and we spent about four or five days in Ireland and then flew back on the Sunday after. Man, that that's cool. Amazing. That is that's amazing. Awesome. What an experience for your kids, man. That's that's awesome. Yeah, it was it was awesome. I was a part-time travel agent for a while there. Which, <laughs> uh, but uh, but not worth it. it was a good experience. We uh we, we didn't get opportunities like that in uh in eight man football where I played in high school. So <laughs> well listen, I played at Spartanburg High School and, it, and we were at the top of the state and uh we didn't we didn't do a whole lot of that either. Um Eric, before we head out the door, I want to ask you two questions. Number one, you know, Thomas mentioned Caleb Williams here, you know, such a fun kid to watch. Do you have a quarterback? that you enjoy watching or maybe just an offense right now in college football that this piques your interest? Uh, I love to watch Kiffin call plays. He's a guy I pay attention to. You know, last year I paid attention to Bama and Georgia. They've got two new coordinators, but uh, Georgia's still doing a lot of the same stuff. Coach Bobo, yeah. I've got respect for. Um, you know, Lincoln Riley's a guy you always pay attention to just because he's got a uh, a really good understanding of what's going on. Um, and so, you know, I don't know, man. I kind of watch everybody and, and try to pull little nuggets here and there. All right, and I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit with this question because you're a very nice guy and you don't like to say bad things. I asked your buddy and former teammate Jeff Barnes this question <laughs> on the very first time I ever did this podcast. So we like to call ourselves the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. You're in the stands at Williams Bryce or anywhere else, and there's somebody beside you, and that person is yelling something, and it's letting you know that that person is not a slightly above average football <laughs> fan. What is that person saying? Oh, he's probably saying, Why do we keep running QB sneak when it's like a quarterback run? Or why do we keep running up the gut? Um, <laughs> and sometimes it's like, are you even pulling for our team, bro? Like, <laughs> uh, it can be, it can be difficult. Yeah, man. I, I, there have been times where it's, I, I have left games just because I can't listen to the people near me. Like, I'm just like, like you said, are you, are you pulling for our team? Like, are yeah. you a Gamecock fan? And also, what are you talking about? Like, you know, uh, that, that I agree with that a hundred percent. Pure elite. Now I'm not going unless I can sit in the box. So <laughs> <laughs> I hear I'm you. I hear you. Common folk. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eric, thank you so much for joining us this week, man. We, you know, Thomas and I 
have always enjoyed, you know, talking to you, listening to you and, and, you know, like you and I got to know each other a little bit over the years and, and you're just a great guy, heck of a football coach. And I don't know if I've ever told you this story, Eric Thomas knows it. It, when you threw the fade, I was a sophomore in high school, not to date you there, but, uh, I'd been pulled up for the, for the playoffs for Spartanburg high school and it had rained on that and thundered on that Thursday Friday. So we didn't get to play. We played on Saturday. And so the game wasn't over yet. Me and three of my buddies went and got one of my friend's cars. Uh, my teammate, Andrew Fisher, one of my best friends, offensive lineman with me. And we wanted to hear the end of the game and we weren't supposed to be in a car. We're supposed to be in a locker room getting prepared, but there again, we're sophomores that pull, pulled up from JV. We know we aren't getting in the game. So we want to hear the end of the game. You come in, you throw you throw the fade, and Charlie Mack loses his mind. Well, we jump out of the car and start going bananas. Ah! Well, we didn't realize that Chris Miller, who was at that time our defensive line coach, went on to be the head coach of Spartan High School and win a state championship, who was also our discipline coach, is also doing the same thing in the parking lot. He's listening to the game. And we're terrified. We look over and we're like, oh, my God, we're dead. Like, we we are dead. And we, he's going bananas. We're going bananas. And he looks at us and goes, get back in the locker room right now. And, we were just, and as we ran by him, he goes, go Cox. <laughs> that's that's why I remember that play so well among all the reasons that I should. But that was the moment of like pure joy to, oh, man, we're in big trouble. Well, Chris Miller has a soul. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, thanks for being here, man. We really enjoyed it. Uh, fans, if you want to follow us on social media, go to SAA Football Fan on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we are at, at SAA Football Fan at gmail.com. If you want to drop us a question or a note, Thomas, as we're heading out the door, tell the people what you want to tell them. Oh, everybody, enjoy your weekend. Again, we got some fall in the air. I think uh, Coach Kimry has inspired me to head to the mountains. I want to see uh, a little roll in the hills and some leaves change colors. Coach, cannot thank you enough. Enjoy talking ball. Next time we'll have you on, we'll talk some barbecue. How about that? Sounds good, guys. I enjoyed it. All right, man. We enjoyed having you. Everybody have a good weekend. See you. See you.